You're listening to Time in the Word. Do you remember the first time you observed a seed sprouting in a glass jar? It is a fascinating law of creation governed by God's providence. God has also created seed so that whatever type of seed planted, that is the plant that will grow and bear fruit. You do not pick grapes from a thorn bush, you pick grapes from a grapevine. Scripture is full of figures of speech, similes, and metaphors based on the relationship of seed and plant. And Paul uses such a figure in Galatians chapter 6, verses 6 through 10. In this case, the relationship of sowing to gathering. He uses this figure in order to teach us about stewardship within the body of Christ. He is dealing with how we live with one another. Gospel liberty does not allow us to be self-centered. Paul says gospel liberty is not a license to sin against God, and it is not a license to live self-centeredly amid the community. In the previous section, chapter 6, verses 1-5, through five, he gave a practical example of how to live together in humility. Now in verses 6-10, through 10, he offers another practical example, the matter of Christian stewardship, particularly in the provision for those in full-time ministry. Once again, Paul establishes the principle that God uses his appointed means to accomplish his spiritual purposes. Let us listen as Dr. Gonzalez provides an exposition of Galatians chapter 6, verses 6 through 10. Galatians chapter 6, verses 6 through 10. Anyone who receives instruction in the word must share all good things with his instructor. Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. The one who sows to please his sinful nature, from that nature will reap destruction. The one who sows to please the Spirit, from the Spirit will reap eternal life. Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. I remember the first time I observed a seed sprouting in a glass jar. The growth of a seed really is a marvelous phenomenon. It is a fascinating law of creation governed by God's providence. God has also created seed so that whatever type of seed planted, that is the plant that will grow and bear fruit. In other words, you don't pick grapes from thorn bushes, you pick grapes from grapevines. The Bible is full of similes, of figures of speech, of metaphors, based on the relationship of seed and plant. And Paul uses that illustration, or such a figure, in this section of Galatians chapter 6. Only in this case, the relationship is between sowing and harvesting. He uses a particular figure in order to teach us about stewardship within the body of Christ. He's dealing with how we live with one another. Gospel liberty does not allow us to be self-centered. Paul says that gospel liberty is not a license to sin against God and it's not a license to live self-centeredly in the midst of the community. In the previous section, chapter 6, verses 1 through 5, 
He gave a practical example of how to live together in humility. And then in verses 6 through 10, he offers another practical example, which at first doesn't seem to fit. Look how he starts verse 6. Anyone who receives, remember what we read in the first five verses, so you see the contrast and why I'm, uh, it'll make sense what I'm going to say in a second. But he starts verse 6 and says, Anyone who receives instruction in the Word must share all good things with his instructor. Doesn't seem to fit with what he's been saying thus far in chapter 6, namely the matter of Christian stewardship, particularly in the provision of the full-time ministry. Anyone who receives instruction in the Word must share all good things with his instructor. Once again, Paul establishes the principle that God uses his appointed means. And I want you to think about this question as I speak this morning. As it relates to this church, this body of believers, what is God's appointed means? Is the question. And why should we be asking that question? Because the principle Paul declares here is that God establishes his appointed means and accomplishes his spiritual purposes through those means. The exhortation in verse 6 apparently comes out of the blue. I mean, what, is, what does verse 6 have to do with the preceding verses? What does sharing all good things with our instructors have to do with anything at this point? Well, Paul has been discussing serving one another in the body of Christ. He's been discussing the fact that we need to be humble, not proud, that we ought not to be conceited. And suddenly he introduces this element of Christian stewardship. How does this exhortation fit in the flow of Paul's instruction? Well, first, Paul is simply giving another example, practical example, of how we serve one another in Christian liberty by discussing how we use our money in the body of Christ. That's a means that God uses to accomplish His purposes. That's a means by which we serve one another humbly in love. It fits perfectly the flow of the passage. Second, he has said that we are to bear our own load, but that does not rule out the need to help financially the ministers of the gospel and other brothers and sisters. And thirdly, there might have been a problem that we're unaware of from the text. There might have been a problem of ministerial support caused by the claims of those who were opposing Paul. But it certainly fits the general theme of the passage. So Paul lays down a very important principle here. Namely, the pupil, the student, the learner, should share all good things with him who teaches him or her. That's clear in the text. Anyone who receives, he says, is the one who's been instructed, whether publicly or privately. It implies the relationship between the student, the one being taught, and the teacher, the one doing the teaching. Those who have benefited from the ministry of others. Paul says, listen, they owe material support to that minister. Hold your place here for a moment in Galatians chapter 6 and go with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 9. And I want to read uh, starting in verse 7. 1 Corinthians 9 verse 7. Who serves as a soldier at his own expense? Who plants a vineyard and does not eat of its grapes? Who tends a flock and does not drink of the milk? 
Do I say this merely from a human point of view? Doesn't the law say the same thing? For it is written in the law of Moses, Do not muzzle an ox while it is treading out the grain. Is it about oxen that God is concerned? Surely he says this for us, doesn't he? Yes, this was written for us because when the plowman plows and the thresher threshes, they ought to do so in the hope of sharing in the harvest. If we have sown spiritual seed among you, is it too much if we reap a material harvest from you? If others have this right of support from you, doesn't, shouldn't we have it all the more? But we didn't use this right. On the contrary, we put up with anything rather than hinder the gospel of Christ. Don't you know that those who work in the temple get their food from the temple and those who serve at the altar to share in the, what, what is offered on the altar. In the same way, the Lord has commanded that those who preach the gospel should receive their living from the gospel. This perfectly fits what he's saying to us in Galatians chapter 6. He establishes here two important principles in, in verse 6. First, the Bible teaches that there is professional ministry. And by professional, no, professional ministry, I, I mean full-time vocational ministry. There are those who live or make their living by preaching the gospel, however that may look. And second, the congregation, listen, the body of believers, the local church in its entirety has the spiritual responsibility to support those in vocational ministry. The responsibility to support those in ministry is a spiritual duty, not an option, not a suggestion. It's a spiritual duty. And it is a duty that needs to be taken seriously, a duty that it is sin to neglect. And then we find the grounds of the exhortation in verses 6 through 9, in verses or 7 through 9. Paul enforces the exhortation by anticipating two objections that are going to likely come up. And that's the way Paul does it. You, when you read his epistles, it's amazing. He's thinking, he's anticipating the objections, and he answers the objections before they're ever brought up. The first objection he anticipates is that times are hard, and I have to pay my own bills, and I have other financial responsibilities. He anticipates that some will object by saying something like that. And he answers this by saying, look at what he says in verse 7, do not be deceived, God cannot be mocked, a man reaps what he sows. Paul reminds us all that God is the sovereign provider of all things and knows what provisions he has given to each and every one of us. There's nothing you can raise to God that he does not already know. Let's operate for the sake of argument. Some may agree or disagree, but for the sake of, of, of illustration. Let's operate on the tenth, the tithe. Just for the sake of argument, for the sake of illustration. In that argument, God has said that a minimum of what? Ten percent belongs to him. And that he knows. It doesn't stop there. Full well that we can live on the remaining 90% if we live faithfully before God. He knows that. So do not be deceived, Paul says, simply means, if we paraphrase in the more modern vernacular, simply means quit playing games in which you say that you cannot afford to support the ministry. Because I know you could if you were living the way I told you to. 
There's no excuse that we can raise for not doing what God tells us to do that holds water. We can't. We deceive ourselves if we think that's the, the fact. Paul also introduces the spiritual principle that whatever a man sows, he reaps. Think about that for a second as it applies to, in this particular instance, finances. Here he applies it to stewardship, and later he applies it to godliness. The principle is not dissimilar from what Christ often taught. For example, in Mark 4.24, he said, With the measure you use, it will be measured to you, dash, and even more. That's a powerful statement and very applicable to this text. Christ emphasizes the grace of God when he adds an even more, quote, unquote. It is a spiritual law, but spiritual laws still operate out of grace. God expects you to use means. Remember I said, what are God's means? And God blesses the use of these means. But God never blesses in a mechanical way. He blesses means by grace, but the principle applies. And again, this is not only about money. Remember, the whole context has to do with serving one another. It has to do with the work of ministry. It has to do with every aspect of your life and your church life, corporately. You reap what you sow, not only as a person, but as a body, as a congregation. With respect to stewardship, God will provide for the person who is faithfully committed to the work of God and begins his giving on the foundation of, a, of an offering. Offering In this case, we, we, for the sake of argument, use the tenth. But the person who neglects, and again, think about it corporately, the church that neglects. The person or the church that neglects because of financial pressures, 99.999 of the times created by themselves, most often at the end of the year will look back and see that they ended up spending a whole lot more than what that offering would have cost them throughout the year. That's just the way it works. God will teach us all, if he hasn't already taught us this, God will teach us all that we can live on the 90% if we seek to live faithfully in dependence of him. And of course, the principle that you reap what you sow is further spelled out in the teaching of the Savior in Matthew chapter 6. You don't need to turn there. I'll read it for you. He says there that we're not to worry about physical provisions. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Now notice that in, the, in that passage, he didn't instruct us all to go out and quit our jobs tomorrow and expect the manna to drop from heaven so that we don't die of starvation. What other means by which he blesses us? Well, for me, it's my job. So I work hard at my job in order to glorify him and to express my gratitude to God for the means he's given to provide for me and my family. God works in your life according to your sowing. Please understand that. You will reap what you sow. That's a law. When you sow to him, and please don't misunderstand, I'm not preaching a name it and claim it or a, or a prosperity gospel here, but I want to make a, a point that even the Lord himself made when I read that passage in Mark chapter 4, verse 24. 
When you sow to him, you put money in heaven, so to speak. When you respond to the Lord in this way, he will always be faithful in providing what you need and sometimes far beyond what you can imagine. Now, again, although describing stewardship, Paul cannot resist in applying this principle to godliness. Look at verse 8. The one who sows to please his sinful nature, from that nature will reap destruction. The one who sows to please the Spirit, from the Spirit will reap eternal life. Here we find that the matter of stewardship is not merely a material thing divorced from one's heart relation to God. I can give and give and give all sorts of things, money, time, talents, but if my heart ain't right with God, I'm not sowing to the Spirit. I'm sowing to the flesh. I'm doing it for ulterior motives, perhaps so people would look at me and say how generous and what godly man he is. Paul shows that when we give in support of the ministry, we are either sowing a carnal thing and reaping carnality, or we are sowing spiritual things and reaping eternal life. It's one or the other. No gray. Check your heart when you do. Check your heart when you give. Check your heart regularly because you're supposed to do and give regularly. He uses the expression, the phrase sinful nature. It refers to sinful desires. Paul gives us details of them in the previous chapter of Galatians, verses 19 and 21. I won't read them for the sake of time. Giving is a reflection of our heart commitment. It shows whether or not we are idolaters in the body of Christ. It is a reflection of our true love and worship. That's why we examine ourselves. That's why we do that self-examination. That's why we check our heart. Some have said that tithing is God's antidote to covetousness. Perhaps there's something to be said to that, about that statement. Listen, you cannot tithe, and I'll use that word, tithe, out of faith and live a life of wanton pleasure, gripping material things. They're inconsistent one with the other. The reality is that we live in a materialistic world, and whether we realize it or not, we've all bought into some of that ism. We think of things as ours, and we give what we want to give and expect God to pat us on the back for the 1% we give every other month. I mean, it's just the way, it, it, culture has a way of, isms have a way of infiltrating the heart of a believer, of a church. So our use of money manifests the condition of our hearts. It reveals what we consider important. You've heard the expression, show me your checkbook. We don't use checks anymore, so I'll just change the term, show me your bank statement, and I'll show you what's important to you. How many of us would have our bank statements open to public viewing? Listen, even if you're not spending money on worldly pursuits, you might think, oh, I got that one. I don't, I don't spend my money on worldly pursuits. Well, I don't know. If you're not giving, you're, not, you're really making a statement about your priorities. So it may not be that you're spending your money on things you ought not to spend, but if you're not giving, you're still guilty. So he answers the first objection, and in verse 9 he deals with the second possible objection. Here's how he may propose or stipulate the objection. We grow weary in supporting the church. We grow weary in doing good and in denying ourselves while nothing seems to improve. Listen to what he writes in verse 9. Let us not become weary in doing good, for at a proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. That term, become weary, means to faint, to lose hope, and give up. And what a necessary admonition, isn't it? Many churches fail because the body in that church gives up. 
when we know all the problems in various congregations and look around, look at even other assemblies, not far from us, we see the many challenges and difficulties they're facing. Many dwindling down to two, three, four households. So when we note the problems in various congregations, we're tempted to say, this church is not worth it. We also grow weary in giving our time as well as our money. I mean, the church is so full of problems and so full of problem people. If we're to reap what we sow, why are we not seeing a harvest? And this goes back to the initial question of what means has God put in place for a body of believers to all of a sudden reap a harvest? We pray for God to bless a work or a ministry or a church, but we fail to see that the means by which he chooses to bless that church is the people in that congregation who will not get off their pews and do anything. Has God not answered our prayer? He wants to, but it ain't going to happen until people get up and start moving. Are we the means by which he's supposed to bless this church? Is it possible that we're not reaping because none of us are sowing, at least the way we ought to be? I mean, what are we expecting God to do? To send uh, the apostles and send evangelists of old and, and great Christian leaders of a time past to hold a revival on our campus? Or does he want to use us to achieve the same goal? It's a simple spiritual law. You reap what you sow. Not growing weary means that we persevere. Paul reminds us that we're to persevere in doing good. Imagine, we have to be reminded to continue doing good. Our natural nature fights it. We are to persevere in our giving. We are to persevere in our praying and any other forms of service. The reality is, in every church, and I don't care what size church you go to, because I've been in church, mega churches, mega churches, thousands of people, 10% do the work, 10% do the giving. 90% don't give, 90% don't work, but the 90% complain and whine about everything. All right, well, you know, whatever. Example, we, we see the need of evangelism. I don't think there, if I were to take a polling here this morning and say, who of you disagrees that there should be an evangelistic strategy in this church? Probably nobody would raise their hand. Which would imply to me that if I asked this second question, everybody would raise their hand. Who is willing to do something about implementing a biblical strategy for evangelism? If you answered one way the first question, by implication, I would assume you would be raising your, your hand to the second question. But I'd be willing to bet many people won't raise their hand to the second question. You know why? And is that okay with the Lord? Is he okay with that? Is he okay with those he redeemed by grace, with those who were hell-bound if it weren't for the Lord Jesus Christ? Is it okay for those who, whom he saved to tell him what they will and will not do? I have to ask myself the same questions because I'm guilty of the same things everybody else is guilty. But that's why he says we ought to be all the time self-examining. Anybody can say anything. You poll America, 99% of America is Christian. Is that the type of Christians we are? There's work. There's work. There's work to be done. And the means by which he chooses to do the work is us. So if we don't do it, God says, okay, I will go to another church to get it done. Has he not done that in the past? And will he not continue to do that? 